It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. We're thrilled to have Simply Sober as our presenting sponsor. Simply Sober is the go-to recovery-based apparel brand from clothing to jewelry, tech accessories, and more. They have everything you need to navigate this journey. Keep it simple and express your recovery at simplysober.biz. It's Caller 28 and their story about addiction. in the dark I look about. not much not much so you've you've listened to this before oh yeah i listened to every single one of them <laughs> sweet i was just asking so that way i know that you know no, how this works. Down and all that shit. right no names no locations an hour at most right well if you're good to go tell me your story about addiction well i mean it really started a long time before i ever even realized like Looking back when I was 13, it all started with with alcohol, and then it slowly, from the alcohol, I slowly got introduced into another crowd, and then it went into cough and cold medicine, or robo-tripping, as some people call it, and then I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger with, with the law. I'd get drunk, and I'd steal cars, or get drunk, just to be, to be cool, so I was in and out of juvenile detention centers, and jails, and then ultimately ended up in prison for three and a half years couple of years after I got out, you know, I was good. I got relief for good release, no substance abuse. And then uh, ultimately I got introduced to like cocaine. But the curveball to that is rather than snorting it, I just went straight to intravenous use. And then it just grabbed me and took control. And I lost three years of my life in the blink of an eye. Is just I was going, you know, two, three, four grams a day intravenously using, you know, cocaine. And then eventually, you know, if I couldn't get cocaine, then, you know, it wasn't just one drug of choice. My drug of choice is more. So if I couldn't find cocaine, then I'd, I'd settle for heroin. If I couldn't find heroin, I'd settle for, for methamphetamine or anything and anything to kind of cloud, to cloud my brain. So you were clouding your brain from some reality. What was that reality that I guess you were trying to blur? And that. That's another thing. So what I was trying to like hide myself from, I guess, I realized one time when I got out of juvenile detention center that my father, the one that raised me, and I found out he wasn't my biological father. So from then, like, it was the like the sense of not being wanted. Like I, I seeked, I seeked a relationship with him, and he kind of entertained it like off and on, and then that just ultimately made it worse because now I'm like, okay, he wants to see me. Now he doesn't. Now he does, and now he doesn't. So then. I was trying to block that, and then you know my my parents got divorced when I was thirteen, so I feel like after I started using drugs, like you know it distorts your brain, and I started to think like oh maybe maybe it was my fault that they got a divorce because when I was twelve I got uh, I burned three quarters of my body, I had third degree burns all over my face, neck, leg, and that just that caused a bunch of stress on my family. So even looking back now, I feel like that was the 
not the reason my family, got, my parents got divorced, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. You know what I mean? But today's 76 days that I've been sober from anything with the exception of marijuana. It's legal recreationally and medically in, in my state. And even looking up until like, like till now, like I never even realized that I had a problem or an addiction or anything like that up until, you know, I actually got sober and free and clear mind. You know, I, I lost custody of uh, three of my kids, physical, legal custody. Their mother's got everything. And I, my, I don't want to say, um, rock bottom, but the latest rock bottom was October 31st on Halloween when I looked at my memories and I noticed that that was one year to that day that I had seen, talked to, or even seen photos of, you know, my children. That was like my, my reckoning there. Like I'm still sitting in a room, in a dark room by myself, injecting cocaine 200 times a day plus. Realistically, I was farther behind than I had been a year ago. And that was kind of what vamped it up. And then I also, right around then, I had uh, reached out to my two sons' mother, my ex-wife, said, hey, you know, like, I'm, I'm ready and ready to get my shit together. And that was kind of like a help, I guess. But then she kind of hit me with a curveball that, hey, I'm getting my leg amputated. So um, she just went three days ago for her leg amputation. And, you know, it's been extremely hard, you know, especially with, you know, I went from, you know, my my thing that helped me is my surprise phone tower technician. I climb towers for a living. You know, you could say my balls make your phone calls. <laughs> um, and that work is my room. Like that's my only escape. And it's weird, but like being alone, I found peace in the silence. And that's, that's how I, I've been, been able to stay sober for, you know, going on 77 days. There's 76, one somewhere in there, but you know, obviously getting hit with the your kid's mother saying, Hey, I get an amputation. And then my kid breaks his femurs two days before Christmas. So like, the stressors have been there, but like I try to maintain it, but with my corrupt brain from, you know, cocaine, there's not, it's not like heroin where you get physical withdrawal. It's all mental and there's long-term permanent side effects from, you know, from intravenous cocaine use. And I have, you know, I have, um, decompensated liver, decompensated liver cirrhosis. Um, you know, I have hepatitis C from intravenous use. I've burnt every single bridge that was ever built. You know, I've, stolen from my mom, from my dad, my grandpa, my grand, my grandparents. And it's just like the biggest battle right now for me is, is trying to rebuild those and like prove to people that I'm hoping that I'm a changed man. And I emphasize on the hope because there's no such thing as a recovered addict. You're recovering, whether it be one day or 10,000 days, it's, it's recovery is an endless journey, you know? Yeah, and you're 70 whatever days sober and have all this added emotional stress, emotional stress that you've never really dealt with sober. Oh, yeah, most definitely, especially a curveball for sure. But my wife, we met when we met, she was she was a heroin addict and then she got pregnant with my son and she got clean and she did a complete 360 just after we did because I, I got into an addiction. She physically watched me every day, slowly dying. Like you see my, you know, see my bones and every little bit, you know, two or three weeks at a time without eating or hardly drinking. But I was injecting, you know, a ball of cocaine into my veins every single day. And now, you know, her, she's been sober for five years. She's a recovery coach. And even now she had a leg amputated four days ago and she's barely using any narcotics and 
she's my main motivation just because like my story isn't shit compared to hers. Like, yeah, I've been to juvie and jail, you know, including gang violence when I was in prison and it was just a shit show, but like she was into heroin. So that's a whole nother, you know, like I feel like I shouldn't even relate, you know, to like a cocaine addiction to a heroin addiction because it heroin will grab you, grab you and rip you from everything that you love and, the matter of seconds. So like rebuilding relationships has probably been the hardest part just because like, I know that deep down inside of me, I want that I'm, I'm not changed, but I'm changing and that I actually truly want it this time. But as far as like my parents or, you know, my ex-wife or even my other kids' mothers, they, they just look at me and I say this and they look at me and kind of laugh. They're like, in one year and out the other, we've heard this a thousand times over the last four years and, you know, having the patience to, to get that proof, you know, because words only go so far. They want, you know, cold, hard proof, random, randomized drug testing and substance abuse evaluations and counseling and therapy and AA and NA. And the, the one big battle for that is AA and NA. It's, it's never helped me. Like anytime, like I go into a Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, Originally, I'll go in with the great plan, like, yeah, we can go in and relate to people. But at the end of the day, when I get in there, my addict brain's like, all right, which one of these guys is still using? Where where can I get a new drug deal? And then the war stories just in person, they don't help. That's why, like, your podcast, for instance, you know, it's the first one that I come across when I started looking for. I'm like, it's great because you can't look across the room and see this person looking at you smiling and whatnot. And you can run to them afterwards and start, you know, exchanging phone numbers because at the end of the day, like, I don't know how many times I went into rehab and I got out and my rehab best friend telling me in messages like, yeah, I'm clean. I'm clean. And then I go to the dope man's house and they're sitting in there on the couch. And then you, it's just like you're having a party. Like, Oh, what's up, man. And then you start shooting up drugs together. Um, like I was saying, it's rebuilding them relationships. Like that's for me, that's the hardest thing right now. And also it's the biggest trigger because like the other day, for instance, I was, it was prior to my kid's mother's amputation. We were in the bathroom just kind of preparing stuff. And I went outside to smoke a cigarette. And I come back in and she looked at me. And she's like, you look high. And I just, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I, like, I left it at that. But I left and I walked outside and I got in my truck. And I, I rolled a joint and kind of sat there. And I was real pissed off at first. And I wanted to, like, yell at her, like, I'm here. And, you know, I haven't been anywhere. And then I thought about it. Like, hey, you created this. You created the doubt in these people. So, therefore, you need to reassure them. They're like, hey, that's not the case. And like, it's the the lack of belief is the hardest, the absolute hardest thing for me right now. It gets overwhelming, but at the end of the day, like with addiction, it's all about, I mean, people can say I did it for this person and this person, but I, I've tried a hundred times to get clean for, for my ex-wife or for my son or for my other son or for my mom, because my mom's already buried a kid, like. There's been a hundred times I've tried, but at the end of the day, none of the times were sincere until I realized deep down, like, you're dying. And unless you really want to die, you need to change that. And I've already decreased my lifespan by at least 20 years. You know, I'm in my late 20s, and, you know, I got the anatomy on the inside of my body as somebody that's 60 years old. I've had four heart attacks and a couple of strokes here and there, too. So it's just, it's crazy, man. Like, the, the thing that bugs me the most, I guess, with people and their, like, input on addiction is, like, oh, they're just doing this just because they want attention or they don't even care. Like, in the beginning, 
addiction is a choice. But then I firmly believe that after that, after, you know, it's a choice. Yeah, you chose to do it the first time and the first couple of times. But after them couple of times, it doesn't matter whether you're doing heroin or cocaine or amphetamines or taking a fucking Vicodin. Like, at the end of the day, it's all going to take take grasp of you. It's just some people, they have a way, they have that control. And some of us, you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast, like 90% of us don't because we're listening, you know, for a reason, like trying to find reasoning why we need to get clean or like things that help us get clean and you know because that's for me that's my biggest struggle right now the only thing i know when i get stressed is to go get a rig and get some cocaine slam it in my arm because then i forget everything you know i take something and numbs everything or i take nothing and i feel everything and that's that's my biggest struggle right now So i think you kind of just touched on this but you mentioned that when you had that interaction with your kid's mother and she accused you of being high, you went out to your truck and you smoked weed. Right. But you didn't go out to your truck and bang blow up your arm, which you said you previously would have done. So right. do you think that in some ways weed does help you? Uh, I'm a very, very strong like marijuana enthusiast. Like for all the medical components and like, medical benefits that you can reap from marijuana and the proper use of it. And at the end of the day, like it's not helping my addiction. Like some people will, but at the end of the day, like it may be helping my addiction a little bit, but it's still not helping it because I'm still codependent on, on this other stuff, on this other thing. You know, when I had that, that disagreement where she accused me of being high, normally I would have went and I'd have, I'd have went and got some Coke and slammed it in my arm. But instead I just went, because it's legal, I went and got some marijuana because she can't yell at me for that. And she can't, you know, she can't take it to the courts and say, hey, he's smoking weed. She's a little fucked up. I mean, if she's worried about your substance abuse and substance abuse is substance abuse. doesn't right. matter what's legal and what's not. Anyway. Right. So, but I mean, she's not, she's not bad, like, towards marijuana. She used marijuana to help her get clean and methadone and then got off of the methadone. But, like, for me, like, I've, and I've just gotten this recollection over the last couple of weeks, like, like I said, marijuana, like some people, yeah, it does help great. It helped me with the initial, like the mental withdrawal from cocaine because when I stop using that, especially intravenously, mental fucking ride like no tomorrow. For me, like that's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. I, cocaine, it, it, it's hurt me mentally. Like my a lot of my mental aspect of life is fucked from it. But like my patience is the biggest thing that it has ruined and not the last 76 days, but the last two weeks, like I said, I, I advocate that, you know, isolation causes elevation. So I I isolate and I go work on the road for months on end and, you know, seven days a week. And now since stuff with my family, I've, I've come back in state every day in a consistent schedule, you know, with my kids getting them up, take them to daycare and then come back and help their mom get around the house and or do whatever she needs to do, take a shower or, you know, anything in between. Like the biggest help in the last, whether it be seven days or the last two weeks has been consistency, like a consistent schedule. Free time is the, is the biggest killer for me. Cause when I have found anybody, I feel like a lot of the times I tend to, Oh, nobody's around. Nobody can see me. I can go get high real quick. Nobody's going to know it. And then next thing, you know, nine hours have slipped away. I stabbed myself 300 times in the arm with a, fucking syringe i got abscesses all over the arm and it just starts all over again so consistency for me has been the biggest help you know yeah when it comes to habits as addicts 
generally we're good with habits. Like I know as an addict, as an athlete, as a student, as a professional, I'm good with good habits. 100%. But I can also be really good with bad habits. You <laughs> it's know? Just funneling that energy towards that positive thing rather than the negative thing. But um, also, once I got clean, I realized who wasn't. Like a lot of the people that you hang around with, like that's another thing. Like if this person right here is saying, that, saying they're your friends, but then they show up, like I've had quite a few friends insert the air quote that, you know, they say, Oh yeah, I'm a friend. I hope you get clean. I hope you stay clean. And then they show up to my fucking house with a bag of coke. Hey, you want to do a line? There's not, there's only one fucking person that has been consistent, never once enabled me or any of that shit. And it's oddly enough, it's a female friend and she's been the only rock in my forever crumbling world. So like, you not only need to like find stuff to like occupy your time. So you're not thinking about that negative shit, but you also need, that person that's brutally honest in your life to let you know, like, Hey, you're being a fucking idiot. Get your shit together. You're going down the wrong path again. You know, if you don't have a support system, like at the end of the day, a support system is the biggest thing. Like, that's another thing. Like I, I can't let my, I can't let my mom bury me or find me dead or let my kids' mother have to break the news to my kids is that, you know, Hey, your, your dad's not ever going to come and see you again because he's in this jar right here, you know? So like you got to have the consistency is the big thing and, but channel your energy towards positive things because although I can go out and socially drink and not do anything stupid at the end of the day, the next day, my brain's going a mile, a million miles a minute and I'm jumping right back to wanting to do cocaine again because I, I said, said my brain some poison. Now it's like, Hey, you know, this stuff's better. Let's go do this instead. When people don't want to drink socially, other people think that like, they're going to be an embarrassing drunk or something like that. But usually it's quite the opposite. We're really good at drinking or partying or whatever. The thing is, we're just going to do it for like five days straight. So just not going to do it at all. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So this last week and a half for me has been the biggest test of my life and the hardest of my life. Just with, you know, a a two-year-old breaking a femur two days before Christmas and putting him in a body cast where he's immobilized. And then, you know, their mother getting her leg amputated below the knee fucking two weeks later. And now I'm off work and I have like, you know, court for fucking child support coming up. And, you know, my work's out in another state and that's where I make my most money. And it's just a lot of addicts would be like, oh my God, this is too much. I'm going to get high. Like, yeah, it's too much. But if you go get high, then it's just like, I keep telling myself and telling myself over and over. If I go get high, then this too much is going to be a million times too much because you're going to be right back to fucking square one after the high wears off. You're going to be hating yourself and everything you're about. So like it's, it's all about having the inner sense of purpose and, you know, the actual want to stay away from it. Because if you don't, it, it, it's not going to fucking happen. <laughs> Get off your emotional roller coaster with Melissa Armstrong coaching. Go to strongarm.ca for more. Given everything you've been going through and how fresh all of this is, I'm honored you took your time to do this. With I mean, I'm here today and I, I could extend my gratitude to you as well. And this podcast, like I said, like, as opposed to sitting in a room, you know, then you can look at this person and go like on the phone, you know, you can, you can sense, like I could sense when I first listened to your podcast, I was like, you can actually sense like your, like your general curiosity and your general sincerity as you're talking to each person, each individual 
in these episodes. And like, to me, that made me think like, Hey, this guy is not only doing it to help other people, but correct me if I'm wrong, he's doing it to help himself as well, because I'm sure you pick something out of every single phone call that you talk to with these people and tried to implement it into your life. Well, as for me, for years, I thought that my addiction meant that I was weak, morally corrupt, and deeply flawed. Actually, I still struggle with those thoughts, but through this podcast and the stories shared by our listeners, it's obvious that addiction is a disease that doesn't care about one's strength, morality, or character. And we can work together to continue to fight this disease by learning, sharing, growing, and connecting. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.